to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. Notice God's willingness to forego judgment. And once again, this gives us the correct picture of God. The incorrect picture of God is a God who's anxious to judge, a God who can't wait to judge, a God who is just looking for a person to stumble or make a mistake or blow it so he can obliterate them. That is not the biblical picture of God. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis chapter 18 in a message titled, Abraham the Intercessor. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Others needed to see that God doesn't judge swiftly or lightly, but that when God judges something, he's been patient, and his assessment of the situation has been thorough, and his judgment is absolutely right when it comes. So, you know, there's no way God could ever be accused, as he so often is, by ignorant people in regard to judgment. Oh, well, that's not fair that God would judge people like that. Or that it's not, you know, that it seems like God didn't, you know, he wasn't really patient enough. He didn't really give them enough time. The Lord knows the situation, but he's going to give it even more time. And he's going to go, interestingly to me, he's going to go himself. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. So the two men that were traveling with the Lord, which, as we've mentioned, were obviously angels, they now went toward Sodom, and there remained Abraham, and the Lord remained there as well. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now, I love this, this portion here and this intercession that we're going to read about. And the thing that I really like is the candidness with which Abraham speaks to the Lord and the graciousness with which the Lord deals with the situation. He doesn't become impatient. He doesn't say to Abraham, look it, it's none of your business. Don't ask me any questions. God is very gracious. He's very patient. And he allows Abraham to speak to him very candidly. And again, as we have sort of emphasized going through the life of Abraham, you know, many lessons to be learned. But but one of the lessons, again, is that lesson of the, the freedom that we have with the Lord because we are the children of the Lord. And the fact that we can sort of discuss things with God, if you will. And, and you find this, as, as we've pointed out, but I want to remind you again, we find this as we go through the scriptures. There are times when God's people, whether it's Abraham or whether it's Moses or whether it's Jeremiah or whether it's me or you, there are times when we are puzzled about what's going on 
and we just don't get what God is doing. And it's okay during those times to go to God and say, now, Lord, what about this? You know, it's okay to do that. That's part of this, uh, the beauty of this relationship that we have with him. And so Abraham, he asked this, this very bold question, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there were 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that were in it? Listen to this, I love this. Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You know, you can almost sense that you know, Abraham, he, he knows he's right, but there's just a little bit like, you know, I'm, I'm right, aren't I, Lord? I mean, th- this is true, isn't it? You're not gonna judge the righteous with the wicked. I mean, you're gonna do the right thing, right? Because you are righteous. And of course, he was right. Notice how Abraham refers to the Lord here as the judge of all the earth. The judge of all the earth. Now, if you are ever subjected to any kind of a liberal perspective on the Old Testament. Hopefully, you never will be. But if you are, what you will find is they, these liberal theologians, they will always try to paint, you know, the Old Testament system and, and the, the children of Israel, the, the kingdom of David and Solomon and so forth as, you know, utterly just insignificant, you know, just sort of irrelevant kinds of little, um, not even kingdoms really, but just sort of tribal types of things. And the God of Israel, they will try to present the God of the Old Testament as, a, as just a tribal deity. A tribal deity meaning that he had relevance only to the tribe of Israel. Of course, that's not the picture that we get in the scripture, is it? And and of course, the problem with the liberals is they don't believe the Bible. But we do believe the Bible. And we know that far from Jehovah being some sort of a minor God, a, a tribal God, we know that he is the true God and that he is the judge, not just of a small plot of land called Canaan or Israel, but he is the judge of all the earth. He is the judge of all the earth. Abraham understood that very clearly. And so the Lord said to him, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Then Abraham answered and said, indeed now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, you know, Abraham feels like he's sort of treading on thin ice here. 
He said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. I can't believe I'm doing this, in other words. Suppose 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. Now, I want you to notice a couple of things. Of course, Abraham is interceding. This is really an example of what we call intercessory prayer. But notice, again, the candidness with which Abraham is speaking. And when we are praying, we can be bold and speak clearly. Some, do you ever find yourself praying at times and it's almost like you can't really spit out what's in your heart because in your mind you're, you're partially thinking about how you, you should be saying it. And so you're sort of stammering and stuttering and hemming and hawing and you know, you're not really getting out what's in your heart. And you know what the solution to that is? Just blurt it out. Just tell God, just, Lord, this is what I'm trying to say. (laughs) This is how I feel about this situation. This is what I'm asking. I think sometimes we, we kind of get hung up with little things like, you know, are we articulating this you know, the, the proper way? Are we using the, the proper terminology? You know, sometimes we can sort of develop a kind of a, a kind of, you've heard the term a Christianese, you know, where we sort of speak in a kind of a Christian language and we're not being just, you know, open and, and honest and just you know, Lord, this is really what's going on, but we're, we're couching everything we say in these, you know, particular terms or phrases and things like that. But again, with this picture of intercession, we see Abraham is just, you know, he's very straightforward. Lord, what if there are 50 righteous in that city? Would you destroy it? How about five less? What about 45 and, and all the way down? So we see Abraham interceding But the other thing, again, I want to emphasize is notice God's willingness to forego judgment. And once again, this gives us the the correct picture of God. The incorrect picture of God is a God who's anxious to judge, a God who can't wait to judge, a God who is just looking for a person to stumble or make a mistake or blow it so he can obliterate them. That is not the biblical picture of God. But sadly, God has oftentimes been portrayed in that way and and greatly misrepresented. But here the Lord comes down to saying, if there are 10 righteous people, I will spare the city for the 10 righteous. He was hoping there would have been 10 righteous, no doubt. Because as we're told in many places in scripture, when God judges, it's sort of a last resort, if you will. He reserves judgment for the last resort. In Isaiah 
God speaks of his strange work. And as you look at that in the context, the strange work is judgment. Judgment isn't something that God delights in doing. God delights in showing mercy. And so he's patient and he allows things to go on. And and we all know that he sometimes allows things to go on so far that we begin to wonder, is he ever gonna do anything? I always wonder that when I'm thinking about somebody else. I never wonder that when I'm thinking about his dealing with me. (laughs) So when we start thinking that about others, remember that we need mercy as well. But we see his willingness to forego judgment. Now, going back to Abraham's intercession. Now, we know the rest of the story. Of course, we will get to the details in our next study But we know that there were not 10 righteous in the city. Really, there were only four people that were delivered. And in the end, only three were delivered. And we know that the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and those other cities in the plain there, we know that they were destroyed. We know that the judgment of God came upon those cities. But God did deliver out from the judgment, the righteous. And we will see that the deliverance of Lot and his family was a direct result of Abraham's intercession. It was a direct result because when we're told in chapter 19 about Lot being delivered from the city, it says specifically, and the Lord remembered Abraham. So it was through the prayer of of Abraham that Lot was spared. And I think what that just simply, you know, speaks to us about is the power of intercessory prayer for people. That we can see people delivered from judgment. That we can see people spared the wrath of God as we intercede for them, as we pray for them. And this is something that we need, to, we need to do. We need to pray. If you look at our world today, it seems that judgment is probably the next thing on the agenda. But even as we look at it that way, I believe that there's still a great work that God wants to do. Even in in the midst of the judgment, God can be delivering people and pulling people out of that even as he's continuing to, you know, bring about the the fulfillment of his plan and, and bring about his judgment. I think of what the Lord said through the prophet Habakkuk, where he said, I'm going to do a work in your day. You, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And the work that God was going to do is he was going to bring the northern armies to judge his people. And yet Habakkuk said, Lord, revive us and in wrath remember mercy. And I think we can count on the mercy of God. You know, I don't know that we can necessarily stop the judgment that's coming upon this world. 
You know, what can we do to turn things back in a different direction? If you think of it on a, you know, a worldwide level, if you think of it on a national level, if you think of it on the level of the state we live in, or even the community that we live in, you know, we, we are in many ways relatively powerless, aren't we, to stop this mad rush toward judgment that, that the world's moving in, that, that direction. I can't necessarily stop it, but what I can pray for is, Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. And, and we can have confidence that even as the judgment is beginning to fall upon the world, that God is still going to be working, that God is going to be pulling people out of those places that are doomed to destruction, so to speak. He's still going to be delivering and saving people, and he will respond to us as we intercede on behalf of others. And so we can always, of course, ask the Lord, and we should, you know, it would be wonderful if, if the culture could turn around and we could have a great revival and, you know, people would repent and righteousness would be instituted into our government. Uh, you know, all of that would be wonderful. Is it likely? I don't think so. It would be wonderful if it did happen. But even if it doesn't happen, we know that God is still going to be pulling people out, brands plucked from the fire. He's still in the business of saving people right to the very end. And as we intercede for people that we know, for people that we love, for family members, for friends, you know, who, whoever it might be, we can be confident because of this picture here, of course, as well as other many, many other passages. But particularly because of this picture, we see that God is willing to forego judgment. He's anxious to save, and he responds to the cry of his people. He responds to intercession. Now, one last thing. Going back to the question that Abraham asked, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? And really... As you look at God's response, you know, if there are 50, I won't destroy the city. If there are 45, I won't. If there are 40, if there are 30, if there are 20, if there are 10, I won't. God is saying essentially, no, I won't destroy the righteous with the wicked. If I find 50 righteous, I'll spare the city. There won't be destruction. So we know that God does not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now, there is a day coming, a day of judgment upon the earth. It's called the Great Tribulation Period. And there is some debate among Christians regarding whether or not the church will be here during the Great Tribulation. And there are those who hold to the view that the church will go through the great tribulation. But you see, if that were the case, then it would contradict this truth. Because what you would have then would be that God would be judging the righteous with the wicked. But he's made it abundantly clear 
that he doesn't do that. And so based simply upon this truth that God doesn't judge the righteous with the wicked, I think that then would have to lead us to the conclusion that the church will not go through the tribulation period. Those who have been made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ, the the tribulation period is a time of judgment. Now, the argument goes from the other side, well, you know, righteous people have suffered along with the wicked all the way through history. Why would we think it would be any different in the future? But what they fail to take into consideration is those past kinds of sufferings, persecutions, and you know, destructive kinds of things, these things were all at the, the instigation, if you will, of, of Satan and evil men. They were the, the source of the trouble, the wars, the persecutions, and those kinds of things. The huge difference between what's gone on in the past and what's going to be happening in the future is that the future wrath is God's wrath directly. God will judge the world directly in the future. And when God rises up to judge the world, there is no place for his people in that scenario because he will not judge the righteous with the wicked. As a matter of fact, Peter, looking back on this very event and thinking in his mind about Lot, he says, we learn from Lot that the Lord knows how to deliver the righteous and to reserve the wicked for judgment. That's a lesson that we are to learn from Lot. The Lord knows how to deliver the righteous. So when we talk about, when we think about this period that's coming, this great tribulation period, we, as God's people, we can rest. We have no place here at that time. Because, again, as I said, what's happening then is God is judging the world for its wickedness, for its rebellion, for its rejection of his son, and we haven't done that. So we have no place in that judgment. Far be it from the Lord to destroy the righteous with the wicked. We can rest that when that day comes, we will have already departed and we will be with the Lord. Now, some people say, oh, that's just such escapist theology. Hey, call it what you want. Jesus said to pray that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. So yes, I am an escapist. I'm praying for the escape that Jesus told us to pray for. Let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource. One of my favorite authors is a man named Mark Sayers, and he's written a fantastic book called A Non-Anxious Presence. And in the book, Mark talks about 
us living in a gray zone. And what he means by a gray zone is that we're living in a time between two eras. One era is passing, but the other era is not completely upon us yet. And that leads to social, cultural, and sometimes even personal disorientation. And so this book is a fantastic book that will help us keep our bearings during this time by keeping our focus on Jesus and what God is doing in the world despite what is going on around us. So a non-anxious presence is my recommendation. I know that you will be blessed by it. Again, this month's resource is a book titled, A Non-Anxious Presence, How a Changing and Complex World Will Create a Remnant of Renewed Christian Leaders by Mark Sayers. You can order the book, A Non-Anxious Presence, by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it, and then click on the Donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book, A Non-Anxious Presence by Mark Sayers, to give you a clear picture of how personal renewal happens after a crisis. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.